The news cycle is getting hot and it's not all good news. Uh, protests in Hong Kong are heating up and the Chinese military might be preparing to stifle it. The stock market plummets on Tuesday and the reason why might be very bad news for President Trump. And the heated rhetoric about ICE has prompted another attack on an ICE facility in San Antonio. We are fighting a war on two fronts. A civil war pitting two unyielding ideologies and a cold war, an economic cold war against China. And none of this is good. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Well, the true China is beginning to show itself. Can't be trusted for anything. Um, apparently, there's a been protests in China for the past few months, uh, and it's all because China has decided to be China, be the socialist dictatorship, whatever they are, and begin to turn on Hong Kong. But first, let's let's do something. Let's go over some of the history of Hong Kong so we can understand where all this garbage is coming from. Uh, Hong Kong was started as a British settlement for about 150 years. In 1997, Britain handed Hong Kong back over to China. Now, a lot of people were, this was a very controversial decision because Hong Kong was doing very well uh, economically. They were doing very fine politically. A lot of folk didn't want them to turn over, uh, turn over Hong Kong back to China. And believe it or not, today we're still debating it. And I don't think it's much of a debate. Hong Kong should have been its own independent country. Since then, though, Hong Kong has maintained its own legal system, has, uh, which was based on the British system. They never really changed it. It's maintained its own currency. It's maintained its own constitution, which defines something called basic law. China said they would allow Hong Kong to run their own government under basic law for 50 years after the transfer. So it's 50 years after 1997. Let's do the math. It's been about 22 years, which means we still have a good 25, 26, 27 years before China decides to take over. But China has begun to infringe on Hong Kong's sovereignty 20 year, 25, 26 years before their promise. One of the ways that China has infringed, and one of the main reasons for the protests, is China's assertion that they have complete jurisdiction over Hong Kong, and that includes criminal law. Now, <clears throat> how China does criminal law, and how the United States does criminal law, <coughs> and how Hong Kong does criminal law is a little different. In Hong Kong, in the United States, you're innocent until proven guilty. Well, in China, it's a little different. You're guilty until proven innocent. And there's also um, due process in Hong Kong and in the United States. And China doesn't have due process. So they'll bust right into your house, they will grab you, and then they will take you to back to mainland China, where you will be tried and sentenced. China also has had a real big issue with kidnapping people who were actually really against the Chinese government. So, needless to say, Hong Kong's not really thrilled about this. Um, they really didn't want China to have too much to do with them simply because of the oppressive nature that they've had with their people and how they're 
Um, their economy is not free system. It's still a socialized economy, though they've gone from communist to a dictatorship. And uh, Hong Kong is kind of known, or China is kind of known for their shortcomings in human rights. And they just don't really want anything to do with that. And I guess this was something that was going to end up happening anyway. The China declared a few months ago that they that they were going to actually start taking over the criminal courts. And that includes political prisoners. And as of now, uh, China has been actually kidnapping political uh, political enemies. And these political enemies have been disappearing. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Sounds like a lot like what Russia was doing when they were the, the Soviet Union. And heck, they're doing it now. Uh, to this day, that's when the protests actually started. Now, up till now, the protests have been actually pretty peaceful. Um, and the protests didn't really interfere with day-to-day -day life of its citizens. But on Sunday, the protests intensified. Protesters decided to shut down the Hong Kong airport on Sunday, one of the busiest and most profitable, air, profitable airports in Asia. The Hong Kong airport makes up about 5% of Hong Kong's GDP, so they were actually messing with the Hong Kong economy. The protests did get violent, though no one was killed. There was a lot of smashing of windows and there were some assaults both by the police and by um, by the police and by protesters. But for the most part, everything was still moderately safe. There was one scene, and you could actually view this on YouTube, where the police were being attacked by an absolute mob of protesters. And one of the police officers, the Hong Kong police officers, was injured. He pulled out his gun. He aimed it at the protesters. The protesters kind of backed up, but he never shot. And he was able to get away. The other police officers were able to pull him away. So at this point, things have been tense. There have been beatings. There have been a lot of... But they've been rather not as bad as, let's say, a typical Antifa rally up in Portland on a Saturday night. Both the governments of China and Hong Kong, who is sympathetic to China, condemn the protests along with the business elite in Hong Kong, which, by the way, most of the business elite are sympathetic to China. They're actually dealing with China. The protests now are disrupting business, and China is Hong Kong's biggest trade partner, and the trade has been significantly affected. That's going to be a problem for China, who is already suffering from close to recession because of the tariffs that have been uh, applied by the United States, its second largest trade partner. And we're going to talk about uh, that little mess in a few minutes. The average citizen in Hong Kong sees what's happening, and they don't want to lose what they already have. And what they have is freedom, the ability to make something of themselves. That's probably why a lot of them are waving a flag, the flag of the freest country in the world. Yeah, yeah, they're waving the flags of the United States and they're doing it constantly. And it's I know it's a shock someone's waving a flag without actually uh, waving a US flag without actually burning it. But apparently 
They only do that in this country. Because in this country, people don't have any respect or any appreciation for what they have in this country. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, China, again, who's already struggling economically because of the Trump tariffs, does not need any of this crap. They really don't. So they've decided, okay, we own this place. It's time to put them in line. That's not a quote. I just made that up. Uh, I'm pretty sure the entire of country, the entire country of China said this. Though, I'm pretty sure that Jing had actually, Xi had actually had said this. And he is now preparing a, he is massing Chinese military right across the border from Hong Kong. And we're talking massive military. If you go to dumbassestalkingpolitics.com, I actually have a video of the Hong Kong military amassing at what looks like a stadium over in China. And this could be very scary. There are some major fears right now that China is going to suppress the protests by the only way they know how, through force. There are many memories of Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square. I'm sorry, I can't barely pronounce that. A massacre invading the memories of those who were alive. If you folks don't know what the Tiananmen Square massacre is, there was an uprising in China. And a bunch of protesters, basically college students, started protesting the Chinese regime. And they were shot by the Chinese military. Bunch of people were killed. You may remember there is a fantastic photo. I think this was a Pulitzer Prize winning photo. Where there is one man standing in front of a line of tanks. And the video is out there. You can use it. Matter of fact, I'll stick it on the website at dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. There is a beautiful site where there is one student standing in front of a line of tanks. And the tanks are trying to get around this guy. The tanks, actually, they don't want to run, they don't want to run this kid over. And there was a lot of talk about this picture. It was a fantastic film clip. The bravery it took for this kid to stand in front of a line of like 10 tanks was absolutely incredible. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something, what was awesome about that film, and the news. this was before the news media was completely left-wing and insane, they sat back and said, you know something, that one kid did not have the fear that he was going to get run over, because he knows that the people within those tanks, those soldiers and supporters of the Chinese military and the Chinese government were still Chinese and they knew that this kid was Chinese and they were never going to run him over like that. So it was almost, it was an incredible view because if you looked at it, it was basically the driver saying, we can't run over this guy, he's one of us. And this guy sitting in front of the road saying, you're not going to run over me. It was just, it's a very powerful, very powerful film, very powerful photo. And it deserved the Pulitzer Prize. Well, so there's a lot of shot that there's... In, in, I know I kind of went off on there, but in the end, what's things are looking at, it, it, there's looking like there could be some violence coming from China. Because here's the thing. The Chinese and Hong Kong do not see themselves as the same people. Hong, the people of Hong Kong don't see themselves as Chinese. They, they see them as something called Hong Kongers.
So they actually have a name for themselves. They don't see themselves as Chinese. And just like we'd be upset if Canada decided, well, like we're upset that Mexican citizens have decided to come up here and, you know, place their, their butts in this country. They don't want China involved. They want China out. They want to continue with their own lives. Well, of course, President Trump weighed in on this. His first tweet was kind of annoying, but I understand what he was trying to say. Here's the problem with tweets. You really don't get a context of the tweet. For example, there's no tone in a tweet. So this tweet sounded kind of weird, and I didn't particularly like it. I'll explain why. Um, the president of China, the president of China, Xi Ping, had blamed the United States for these protests. Basically, he had said that the United States was actually infiltrating Hong Kong and actually creating these protests. Just a load of crap. It's probably for his own people. Well, here's a, I'm sorry, I called him the president. He's not the president. When you're consider your when you declare yourself the president for a life, you're a dictator. Well, I, he, of course, he blamed the United States. This was probably something he was flooding the news media in China on. Of course, it's state-controlled. And President Trump said this, Many are blaming me and the United States for the problems going on in Hong Kong. I can't imagine why. This is why I hate, this is why I hate tweets. Okay, the first question is, many are blaming me. President Trump, would you stop making yourself the center of attention? Stop it. This is just, this is such a crappy tweet. And the United States. Why can't he just say, many are blaming the United States for the problems going on in Hong Kong? Why does he have to say me? And then he says, I can't imagine why. Um... When I read this tweet, there were several different tones you could take from that. Is it because we did interfere with the election? We didn't interfere? And it was really obvious we interfered with the, the Hong Kongers? Or it's not obvious? He's blaming the... What exactly is he saying with I can't imagine? It's just... It's a crappy tweet. It could be misread so badly. I mean, I understand what he says. I read context all the time. But... This is just a lousy tweet. Um, well, here's, here's the reason why. This is why the Chinese are blaming the Americans. We have a free market. We've defined human rights within our constitution. And we've defined freedom. The Hong Kongers as they were, uh, see this and want this to continue. They have the same thing. They have a watered-down version of the same democracy we have. They don't, the Hong Kongers don't want totalitarian government controlling every movement as China does with their own people. So that is the message, the Chinese, quote, president, end quote. That is the mess, that is the message to the Chinese president and not necessarily to the leftist press in this country. But later, Xi, Xi, President Xi or dictator Xi, whatever you want to call him, received another message from Trump. And this one was maybe a little bit more interesting. Now, maybe I'm giving Trump a little bit more credit because I really don't think he's as sharp as all that. But I I'm going to give him credit anyway because this was actually a pretty powerful treat, uh, tweet. Quote, 
Our intelligence has informed us that the Chinese government is moving troops to the border with Hong Kong. Everyone should be calm and safe. And I was the one that accentuated everyone. This is a much better tweet. Our intelligence informed us. He does not centralize this thing. My intelligence has informed me, or our intelligence has informed me, or my intelligence has informed us. He actually kept this as we're Americans. So that's great. This is the perfect tweet. He should have done this in the first place. Everyone should be calm and safe. This can be seen as a threat to President Xi himself. In other words, President Xi, don't do anything stupid. Or it could be just everyone be calm and safe. But I'm thinking this is a message to China too. I don't think this is just a message to, uh, to both the Hong Kongers and the Chinese. This might be more of a threat. I have a feeling a lot of things are going to happen here. But if one person does, things could, a lot of things are still going to happen here. I, I don't think this is over. I don't think we have the whole story. I think the protests are going to continue. I think the Chinese are going to be a little bit wary of running into Hong Kong. I think Xi is going to be contacted by President Trump and he's going to be told, tone it down, it's okay. And I think that there's a lot that's going to have to happen before the worst can happen. But if violence does happen, let, and the violence happens between the Hong Kongers and the Hong Kong police, I'm not so sure much is going to come of that. But if the Chinese walk into Hong Kong and then violence occurs, that could be very bad. And it's going to be interesting to see what President Trump decides he's going to do to handle that big problem. So we'll have to stay tuned on that one uh, because no one really know. We really don't know what's going to happen yet. It is still way too early in the game. Well, the United States has its own problems. In the last few days, the stock market has dropped about, I'd say, 900 to 1,000 points. Um, and they had an 800-point drop yesterday. So things are not going really well in the stock market. Um, this happened because the bond yield was projected to invert in the near future. So you might ask, what does that mean? It means that the return from bonds is expected to drop after two years on a 10-year bond. So if you buy a 10-year bond that will have a 10% yield, which means every year you're going to make 10%. So if I make if I give uh, buy a 10, and this is an exaggeration, if I buy a 10-year bond, which I have to hold for 10 years, and I get 10% yield, it means every year I'm going to get $10 back. And then, so for example, in one year, I'll make $110 the first year, because that's 10, 10% of 100 is $10. And then another 10% is going to be applied to that, to $110. That will be another $11 that year, and it will raise it to $121. And it goes up, and the 10% is not supposed to change. Bonds are extremely uh, stable. They're preferred. 
and they are a stable way to create what a lot of people do is they create a uh, they buy these bonds so that they know well in 10 years I'm going to have this much money what happened what it means when a bond invert when the bond yield inverts it means that the yield inverts which mean, I mean the yield goes down so you may be making 10% in 2019 and 10% in 2020 but after the second year, there's a chance it's actually going to fall to 9.5%. And then in the fourth year, it might fall to 9%. This isn't good. This isn't good. What means is people who buy bonds, and, and you can buy bonds in, I think it's 10, 20, 25 years increments. Which means if you buy these bonds, there's a chance that what you're projected to earn at the end of the life of the bond may not be there. And this scares the living crap out of investors. It's not good. So the so why is this scary for the economy? Why am I don't own any bonds. I'm probably a lot of you don't own bonds. Why is this scary? Is the last time that our bond yield inverted was in 2007, right before the Great Recession. And by the way, that's just the last time the bond yield inverted. It, every time the bond yield has inverted, which is about every 15 to 20 years, we've ended up in a recession. Now, some recessions were really heavy. Some recessions weren't. But it doesn't matter. It, could we be heading in that direction? Well, let me tell you something. I was born in 1968. At the time... Uh, at least a decade before I was born, the United States was in a Cold War with the Soviet Union. For those who don't know, and I know, it sounds like, where the hell are you going with it? Just listen to me, it's going to make sense. A Cold War is defined as a state of political hostility between countries characterized by threats, propaganda, and other measures short of open warfare. That's from the Google Dictionary. The Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union actually started somewhere between 1945 and 1949 and ended in about 1989. It was absolutely terrible. We worried about our we were always worried about nuclear war. It was on the news every night. We were kind of worried about a ground war, especially since uh, Germany was split into two. I don't know if you remember this, but the Berlin Wall, you may remember that was split between East Germany and West Germany, and there's always tension between the two countries. But this is what I remember. This is what was scary. I remember the nuclear attack drills you had to go through in high school and in grammar school. It was something we did a few times a year. We used to have to dive under our desk when our bells rang because it meant we were actually being attacked by a nuclear weapon. Never happened, of course. Um... I remember reading in Time and Newsweek magazines articles that compared the Soviet nuclear weapons with that of the United States uh, and how many they had and how many we had. But that's the whole thing. I also remember debating whether to eliminate nuclear arms or continue building nuclear arms. Um, one of the things we learned back then was there was something called mutual assured destruction. This played on the reason of the enemy. 
For example, if the United States had 10,000 nuclear weapons and the Soviet Union had 10,000 nuclear weapons and we went into nuclear war, both sides would be destroyed. And that's mutual assured destruction. So the Soviet Union won't preemptively launch a nuclear uh, strike and the United States won't because we both know if we do, we're dead. It, the whole countries, both countries will be destroyed. Um, yeah, I won that debate. Uh, everyone said I won the debate. I ended up getting a D because I was dealing with a pacifist. Uh, go figure in a Catholic school. Um, we ended up winning the Cold War. Turns out the Soviet Union uh, doesn't have a real great economy like capitalism does. Socialism didn't work in the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union couldn't afford to keep up the Cold War. They couldn't keep up building their military. They couldn't keep building nuclear weapons. They couldn't engineer better, faster, stronger nuclear weapons because they didn't have the technology. And I've talked about Reagan's awesome tear down your speech, wall speech. We, I, he just It was just like the 40th anniversary of it uh, about a month and a half ago. And, and it was our economy that tore down the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union has not caught up. The economy of the Soviet Union, which is why I never thought the Soviet Union is a big deal, to, or the Russia is a big deal today. Russia's economy today is not much bigger than Italy. I mean, it's just really a mess. Um, so we won that war not through military strength, though that helped. We won it economically. Over the last year, China and the United States have been trying to negotiate a trade deal so that we could uh, end um, the unfair trade practices. The United States exports a lot more to China, but Chinese regulation doesn't allow for a lot of exports from the United States. So there is literally, I think it is a two to one export to import ratio, which means we our trade debt's going up. We're paying China way more than um, they're paying us. And China keeps stealing our um, keeps stealing our technology. They are now trying to work out 5G network along with our country. We're working out a 5G network so they can compete in the telecommunications market. Of course, their goods are never as good as ours. And they know this. That's why they continue stealing for us. They just invent nothing over in China. So the United States, uh, well, specifically, President Trump has decided enough is enough. We're going to stop this right now. And we are going to, if we have to, we're going to go to a trade war. And we're going to force China to actually negotiate this. So the United States put, put tariffs on $650 billion worth of Chinese goods. China decided to counter, and they put tariffs on about 250, excuse me, 250 billions of 250 billion on our exports. This affects mostly agricultural goods like soy and wheat. Now, just to give you a hint, do you already see the disparity? We can put tariffs on 650 billion. They can only put tariffs on $250 billion. Why? That's the disparity. So you're talking we're a little bit more than two and a half to one. We actually uh, receive imports, but their regulations are 
are, are stopping us from exporting to that country. So this is a huge problem. Now, I may have said this before, and I'm pretty sure I did, but I'm not a huge fan of tariffs. I'm really not. As far as I'm concerned, they're just a tax on people. If China decides to send items to the United States, the people, if they pay for that Chinese item, are going to pay the the higher cost, which means they're actually United the American citizen is actually paying the tariff. The only good news with tariffs is it cuts Chinese profit margin and it kind of forces the American citizen to buy American because American goods are a lot more expensive than Chinese goods, even though American goods are far higher quality. But uh, it's still the American citizen is actually paying more for the same item. I. But the reality is it's the consumer that gets hit. And when the consumer gets hit, consumer confidence drops. And when consumer confidence drop, people buy a lot less. And where this is really killing things is in the agriculture business, the soy, the wheat, because they're the ones that are, are being killed by not being able to send as much agriculture to China as they were before. Now, luckily, a lot of these people understand why it's happening. A lot of these people, not all, understand why this is happening and think we can still win this trade war. So what do I think about this? Well, listen, China's been hosing us for years. Something had to be done. They were never going to negotiate. They were never going to cooperate. It was always working for them. Though I am not a fan of tariffs by any stretch of the imagination, they may have been the only way to get China to cooperate. We do have a much stronger economy than China, and tariffs are definitely having an effect over there. Companies are moving out of China. Manufacturing companies are moving out of China because they don't want to deal with the exports. Exports are way down, and they're looking like they're heading into a recession right now. There are the two incidents that indicate that China is not particularly stable. The first is the crackdown on Hong Kong which has one of the strongest economies in Asia. It looks the same as what Russia did with Crimea. See, here's the thing with socialism. Socialism typically will, when they start losing something, when they have problems with economics, they usually take over something that has better economics than they do. The reason Russia went into Crimea was not because they hate the Crimea. It's because they wanted the oil in Crimea. They did not, even though Russia is an oil-rich country, they don't have the resources to go looking for it or to drill it. That's the problem with a corrupt socialist program. They need Hong Kong to be successful and crush the resistance might be the only way of keeping the economy going smoothly in Hong Kong. The other way that China has shown that they're beginning to crack a little bit is they've weakened their dollar. This... I'm kind of mixed on this, and I might be wrong economically, and you can leave me a message and say whether you think I'm wrong economically or not, but this might be a good thing. First off, it's always a bad thing. Weakening your own dollar is actually currency manipulation, and for the most part, it's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. Of course, it's illegal. Maybe it's international law, but no one ever enforces that kind of thing. So they've weakened the dollar. Um... 
This would make their exports cheaper, countering the tariffs. Of course, this really shows the world that China thinks about their what China thinks about their people, because essentially they've just raised prices on the Chinese people to allow for cheaper exports to foreign countries. So the Chinese are going to be paying a lot more for everything for everything they need, including food, because they blocked exports from the United States. And it's just because they, they want to pump more money into their economy. Now, I say that weakening their dollar may be a positive because there's also a lot of talk about the Chinese selling U.S. bonds, all right, so that they can weaken our dollar. Um, they can um, not weaken our dollar. That That's not their intent. But they want to sell our bonds to put more um, money through their economy. Here's the problem with doing that. If they actually sell bonds to put more money into their economy, they will also weaken the dollar of the United States, which would be counterproductive to weakening their own dollar. So this is actually may not be such a bad thing that they actually weaken their dollar. I, I'm a little thrown up because I don't really want China to sell their bonds, sell our bonds, excuse me. Finally, and this is probably one of the biggest indicators that China is in huge trouble, their GDP is the lowest it's been in decades. They are struggling. They're making no money. I honestly am not really sure how long China can hold out in this. Um, here's the problem. The United States is also feeling the pain of this, though it is definitely not to the extent that China is. Along with the bond yields being inverted, uh, the stock market being unstable, we are finally seeing that prices on goods are getting going higher, um, especially on high-ticket goods like cars. The reason is a lot of steel, a lot of iron is imported from China, and now the tariffs have made it that a lot of U.S. companies are now, uh, instead of importing from China, they're either uh, using U.S. steel or they're biting the bullet and importing um, higher-cost steel from China. And when you build a car out of aluminum or out of steel, uh, the price is going to go up on the car. So we, we are beginning to see that right now. Um, the uh, agricultural industry is beginning to suffer. They're beginning to feel the pain, the pinch. Um, they still are doing okay. They still, for the most part, the agricultural unions still support the tariff deal because they know they could be making a lot more. But the farmers are beginning to suffer a little bit. And the president, um, and I got to be honest with you, I don't think the president has handled this really well. And let me let me tell you why. The first, for the most part, and I'll say this, this is the third time I say this, I think the trade war is necessary. I think we need to have a trade war. China has been screwing us for years. I just wish the President Trump would have been more realistic, dare I say truthful about it, instead of saying things, how great things were going to be. He kind of bypassed the problems we might run into. He should have said that there was going to be some pain right from the beginning. He should have played up our economic strength and accentuated the brittleness of the Chinese economy. 
He needed to tell us that our economy would take a hit and a recession was not out of the question. It was it was definitely possible, though with our strength right now. I mean, we've been holding at a 2, 6 to 3 GDP, 3% GDP every month since Trump's taken office. So our economy is very strong. But he never did this. Even to this point, he never directly says, yeah, you know what? I know we're suffering. Um, we knew this could possibly happen. But we're, we just got to tough it out and we will win this war. And we will. I mean, the, if we can stick this out, I don't think China can take this all the way to 2020. I think one of the things China wants to do is they want the United States to suffer all the way to 2020 so that they can get a democratic, a more compliant democratic president and then start negotiating the same garbage we've had for the last 30 years. They're, they actually don't want to deal with Trump and they're really trying to stall this. Trump has said no more stalling. We either get an agreement or we don't. And I think that's very important. Here's the bad news for China. I don't think their economy can handle it until 2020. And I don't think a de- Democratic president presidential candidate is actually going to win in 2020. But it really depends on where the economy is going to go and if uh, Trump can control the happiness of the people if we happen to face a downturn to the recession. I don't think there'll be as much a downturn as we had in 2008 with the the Great Recession, but I think we will face a downturn a little bit. GDP might go down a little bit, and we may have some um, unemployment figures. They might go up a little bit. And you can tell Trump is trying to ease the blow. He decided to put off a 10% tariff on items like televisions, video game consoles, and smartphones, and the like, because he didn't want people paying higher prices during the holidays. Well, you know how he could have avoided that? By telling people you were going to pay a higher price for this stuff right in the beginning. He should have said, we're going to win this war, we're the strongest economy in the world, but here's what's going to end up happening. Or he said, should have said, better yet, here's what's going to end up happening. This is what we're going to face, but we're the strongest economy in the world and yay us, we're going to win this war. And I think we will. I just wish he would have been honest right in the beginning. But either way, I think we need to ride this one out. I don't think, I think we need to be courageous here. I think we need to take it for what it is. And we need to ride this out until uh, we've actually blown China out of the water. I must really like doing this podcast thing because I swore I was going to keep these to around a half hour, but I just keep finding such fun stuff to talk about, and I did again. Um, And this is, I'm sorry, that was not a good term. This isn't fun stuff. This is actually really bad. Uh, Another ICE facility was attacked this weekend in San Antonio. Some nut job decided to shoot at a building holding ICE officials. Uh, due to the, uh, due to where he was shooting, there is little doubt from the FBI or the Department of Homeland Security that this individual was attacking ICE officials. Uh, the FBI is continuing to investigate. No one was killed or injured. And uh, the news media reaction. That's right. Absolutely nothing. 
They said absolutely nothing about it. You could not even, you did, would not even know it would have happened if you didn't listen to like Fox News or Daily Wire or Stephen Crowder or anything like that. Um, the Democrats don't seem to care or want to talk about it. And that's not a surprise because uh, this has to do with that all fired up rhetoric that they, the left keeps accusing the right of doing. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was actually uh, confronted by a a left-wing news organization. Well, she only interviews with left-wing news organizations. If she would ever walk back her uh, concentration camp rhetoric when it came to the ICE detention facilities. And she said, absolutely not. She believes everything she had said. I guess we're just going to have to wait until an ICE officer is shot and killed before anyone will take, uh, anyone on the left will tone down their absolutely hateful and lying rhetoric. You know, I always question some of the things I have said in previous podcasts or I've written. Uh, That includes saying that we are close to a civil war. Well, let's see. A white supremacist shoots up a Walmart in El Paso. A socialist shoots up a bar district in Dayton. An ICE facility is shot up in San Antonio. Antifa is planning to hold a protest in Portland this weekend. And the white nationalist group, the Proud Boys, are planning a counter-protest. The left is calling everyone a racist. And the right is bitching about movies. We are such a mess right now. Uh, The temperature is high. And I hate to end this on kind of a Debbie Downer, but it's only a matter of time before something pops. Uh, You can follow me on... uh, You can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Podcast Addict, or YouTube. And you can visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. There you will find a kind of a written down, uh, written down what essay about what I've talked about. You'll also see a bunch of pictures, and you'll see the tweets, and you'll see some video that I didn't include on the podcast. I hope you guys had a great night and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Yeah.